0: All right, well, we're going to head back to James today. If you would turn back to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We'll read the first 12 verses. And he writes there, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience or endurance, But let endurance have her perfect or complete work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking in nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof faileth, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So shall also the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endures trials or temptation for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life which the lord has promised to them that love him let's pray and lord once again we come before you lord with bowed hearts and we just say lord that we're poor in spirit and we need your help and we just ask you'll open your understanding i ask you'll make this word special to us and something that we don't take lightly and that we'll hear your voice today and i thank you that you'll do that and minister to all of our needs today and ask you to help me in preaching today and we do it in jesus name amen so we said last time that just the overall theme of the book of james is that james wants us to develop a deep sincere consistent faithful walk with god in other words Our faith shouldn't just be doctrine. It shouldn't just be, well, we know all this teaching doctrine, a head full of knowledge, right, or an empty profession. But James is saying if you have faith, it should be a living faith, something that could be demonstrated and seen. That's what you get when you read his book. So he's saying a living faith, a true saving faith is active and working. And it'll be a true saving faith is going to be one that hears the word and does it doesn't just hear the word and we said the different ways james explains that is you're going to care for orphans and widows he says that's real religion and you'll love the poor you're not going to be partial towards the poor and people that you think are a little higher in society or even just within the church and ignore others and he says you'll bridle your tongue Several times he says that, and you'll pray for others. And he also says you're going to love God more than you're going to love the world. And those that don't, he says you need to repent and get that straight, right? So those are some of the tests that James gives throughout his epistle to see whether your faith is a living faith or it's just a dead faith or an intellectual faith or just a faith that's just in your head that's not real. So I would strongly suggest, if you could, suggest strongly that you just read through the book of James this week, coming in the next Sunday. It will take you, I timed it, 15 minutes. I'm not an exceptionally fast reader. And 15 minutes will even give you a few minutes for meditation and conviction. Because it did for me. I can't ever just read straight through something without stopping and having to think a little bit about what I'm reading. So you can read through the book of James in 15 minutes, two times through. It'll help you coming in the next Sunday because we're going to probably be in this unless the lord leads some other way but that's what we're going to go through so the the test that i just mentioned before mainly related to others and to god how our faith would be but he gives at the beginning here a major test of how you can tell your faith is genuine or if your faith is the real deal as they would say on the streets right and that test is if you endure your trials with joy in verse two he says my brethren count it all joy when you fall into divers trials so we said last time he says james is saying to consider it pure joy when we fall into various trials and he doesn't say if but he says what when and so it's going to happen troubles and difficulties of all kinds of various colors are going to come our way and life is full of trials isn't it i mean psalm twenty-two eleven. The psalmist cries out, be not far from me, for trouble is near. And I always like this verse. Job, I like it in this sense, but it's a good verse. Job 14.1, he says, man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. That's just the way life is. I heard a guy put it in a psalmist, and I like the psalm. That's what I'm saying. I like it. But anyways, it makes the point, right? And Paul, when he wrote, as a Christian, as a, he said, what? Well, I'm troubled on every side. Isn't that what he said? So the point is, life is full of troubles. Even your marriage, the Bible says, right? 1 Corinthians 7.28 says, but, talking to somebody if they're debating whether they should marry or not, Paul says, but if you marry, you haven't sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But he says, nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. So the Bible is realistic, isn't it? Does anybody in here that's been married over a week want to testify that they've never had any trouble and everybody's smiling that's been married over a week right so that's it so we're saying that troubles trials and distresses they're just part of life aren't they isn't that what we say we don't seek them but they find us and it says we're going to fall into them whether we want to or not you're not going to find some island to be isolated on and even if you did you'd have your troubles of your own there Right? So fall into, we said, is the word it means to encounter hazards. It's the word that talked about the man on the road to Jericho that fell among thieves. He's walking along and all of a sudden there they are. They're surrounding him and he can't escape. And they assault him, fell on him from nowhere. And that's the way it seems to be. You know, you can go along and life is going sweet. And all of a sudden, boom, something happens. Isn't that the way it is? That's the way it is a lot of times, right? I like what a guy said. He says, since I've been saved, my life has been one mountaintop experience after another. One day I'm on the mountaintop, and the next day the mountain's on top of me. And I thought that was pretty good. That's about the way it goes. But you know, a lot of times when that happens, it all of a sudden comes from nowhere, and it seems like, well, God's hands on me, everything's going good, and then boom, a trial comes, a test of your faith, and you're like, Why did that happen to me? Why was I picked out for that? What have I done wrong? And you think, man, surely God hates me. There's something I've done wrong. And Peter says, beloved, dear friends, please calm down. He says, don't be surprised when a fiery trial comes your way. He says, don't be astonished. That's what that word surprise means. Don't be taken aback like what's going on here. He says, as though some strange thing happened to you. And that word strange is like a stranger, a foreigner. Don't act like this is some stranger or foreigner coming to your door. What are you doing here? I wasn't ready for you. No, he says, don't be surprised, beloved. Don't think it's strange. Don't be shocked. What is this? Why is this happening to me? He's saying, don't be that way about it. He's saying, look, he says, think it not strange, but he says to do what? Rejoice. He says the same thing that james says count it all joy consider it pure joy so the question is how can you rejoice how can i rejoice when you're experiencing anguish trouble emotional distress say you're suffering demonic oppression and depression trouble in your home and i'm saying the bible tells us how so if you would put something there in james and turn back to john 16 how can we rejoice when trouble comes our way? Look in John 16, if you would, please. And so what we have in John 16, beginning in verse 20, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, John 16, 20, that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful. But he says, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Verse 21, it says, a woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man takes from you. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, he says in verse 24, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. So listen, a woman that is in labor is not enjoying herself. And I'm not speaking from experience, but I'm speaking from sight experience. But I've never experienced it. But Jesus himself calls it travail. What does he say? She can count on all joy knowing that one point that is going to end, isn't it? The anguish, as he called it, will be over. And she'll have birthed this beautiful child, right, that she can love and she can hold. And that's the same way with us. So we count it all joy, not because the experience is fun, makes us feel good or whatever. But as I said last time, it's because we can have a sure confidence that God knows what he's doing. The trial is going to end. And when it ends, he's going to have birthed in us. What does it say? The image of his son. You're like, oh, that doesn't sound like any great present. You know, I'd rather have a new Cadillac. Oh no, you wouldn't. Not on the day of judgment. Not in eternity. Believe me, that'll be the gift you'll prize, being in the image of His Son, God's nature, because His character, to use an overused term, to sound like the president here. It's a beautiful character. Not with the president, everything's beautiful, which is fine. But with Jesus, it really does say there is a beauty to holiness. Isn't there? A beautiful holy character and so let's get back to this though what is the underlying motive for that lady the woman to endure the labor what's the underlying motive she's never held that baby she's never kissed that baby she has never even seen the baby right but she still has what a strong bond of love that causes her to endure whatever labor however hard this is her love causes her to endure that once again I'm not speaking from experience I asked my wife make sure I got my facts right but isn't that the case women that have had babies that'll get you through it and it's the same for us to endure trials only those That's why we read down to verse 12, only those that love the Lord will do it, will endure strong trials. Look, if you go back to James, look down in verse 12, James 1.12. If you go back there, that's what it says. Blessed, blessed is the man that endures trials. For when he is tried, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to whom? Those who love him, they will be the ones that are the blessed ones, the ones that endure trials. So he, Paul, it's an important thing that we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul ended his letter in the Ephesians this way. He says, grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Or really that word could be translated that love him with an undying love. A love that will never end is what that word means. It's imperishable. That's what it's, it's sincerity is trying to say, that it's pure, but it's undying. It will never end. And Paul says, grace be to those people, those saints with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ, because he says at the end of another epistle that anyone that doesn't love our Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, cursed. Cursed. And so how does that love for our Lord Jesus Christ demonstrate itself? James is saying it will endure the trials that come our way. That's how we'll show. 1 John 2, 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, it says, The love of the Father is not in him. And so what's a trial going to do? It's going to show where our true love lies. Whether our love is for the world or whether our love is for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul passed his trials, didn't he? He stayed faithful to what the Lord had given him to do. Personally, his ministry, no matter how hard it was. And he said this, we talked about this last time, I fought a good fight. He said this at the end of his life, I finished my course I have kept the faith. And he says, henceforth, we're saying that crown's laid up, James says, for those that love him, the ones that endure trials. And he said, Paul says, I've kept the faith. And henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And here's what he says to us and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I mean, you only love somebody's appearing if somebody's been gone a long time. I had some of my kids that are gone for weeks or whatever. I mean, I love it when they're back. I do. I love seeing them again, right? And he's saying that's who that crown of righteousness is. We have to ask ourselves: Are we really looking forward to his appearing? Do we love him in that way that love his appearing? Because there is another one we're saying that love of the world a trial will show whether you love the world or whether you truly do love the Lord. Because there's another one that didn't pass his test, and he showed that he loved the world more than God. It's, I quoted you from Paul at of 2 Timothy 4 and right after he said that about the crown of righteousness to all those that love is appearing he went on to say "But there's another guy for Demas has forsaken me. Why? It says having loved this present world. So Demas showed where his because it's out there it's, I've said this before it was hard out there on that mission field. Those guys are being persecuted, insulted, rocks thrown at him. And Demas is like, I'm not going through that tribulation, that trial, that persecution. That the Lord Jesus says, when that happens, we read it, talked about it last time. What did he say in Luke and in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, when that happens, we're supposed to rejoice, leap for joy because we have this great reward in heaven. And Demas is like, I don't really care too much about that anymore. I'm more concerned with my life here on this world love this world Paul said he forsook me and then forsaken Paul he forsook the Lord there's not any difference there so the question we have to find out and ask ourselves is our love for God genuine and true love I'm saying will endure trials and a false love will only abide in a trial or stay with the Lord as long as it pays when there's some benefit in it for me and that's the way we have with most modern marriages (laughs) they're not really based on true love It's just emotion, convenience. What do I get out of this? And when it's no longer I'm not getting anything out of this, I'm gone. And that's the way a lot of Christians are. And that's what Satan's accusation against Job was, wasn't it? He said, he only serves you, Lord, because he pays. That's the only reason he loves you, because it pays. You pay him. But here's the thing, Job's love and faith, it remained steadfast when there was nothing in it for him. I mean, literally, he had lost everything, hadn't he? Everything, except literally his breath. I mean, his health was basically gone. He's just sitting there scraping himself in pain from head to foot. His wife's against him. He's lost everything at that point, right? But here's the thing, Job loved the Lord for who he was. That's, he said, I'm not in this just for this. And one day, he says, I'll find out. He just didn't understand what was going on with him. He didn't have Job 1 and 2 like we did, did he? He <laughs> didn't get that till later. But if you would, if you turn to Job 23, I want to show you that. Job 23. Look what it says here in Job 23. Beginning in verse 1. It says this, Job's answered and said, even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. He's like, I just need some answers. This is a hard trial I'm going through here. He says, oh, that I know where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. He said, if I could do that, verse four, I'd order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Will He plead against me with His great power? No, but He would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with Him, so should I be delivered forever from my judge. He says, behold, I go forward. I can't find Him. He's not there. And backward, I can't perceive Him. In other words, I can't find the Lord. I'm not getting any answers on the left hand where He does work, but I cannot behold Him. He hides Himself on the right hand. I can't see Him. But look what He says in verses 10 through 12. He says, But he, God, he knows the way that I take. And look what he says. When he has tried me, Job says, I shall come forth as gold. He says, my foot have held his steps. He says, his way have I kept and not declined. Verse 12, neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He's saying, I don't understand all this. But I didn't get in all this because it pays. I know that God is right. And I still, I esteem him and his word more even than my own life. I'm not turning my back on this God. So I just wished I could talk to him and find out what's going on. And eventually, that meeting happened, didn't it? You hold on and get into chapters 39 through 42, that meeting happened. And Job wasn't backing down. And that's how he was able to endure that trial, wasn't he? God tested him. And Job said, no, I'm not in this because it pays. I'm in this because I love you and I love who you are. Not just what you do for me. That all been taken away. No sign that that was ever going to come back. He didn't know that God was going to turn his captivity. We knew that because we've read the book. But he going through that experience, he had no idea. And his wife's telling him, curse God and die. His friends are telling him, you've got to be a wicked sinner. This only happens to wicked sinners, Job. And Job's like, I don't know. I don't understand all this. There's no sin I'm really convicted of, but I'm holding on to God. When this is all over, I'll come forth like gold, he says. And Peter said what? He says, hey, we haven't seen the Lord Jesus physically, but he says, you can see him by faith, and by that way, you can love him. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter. He says, whom having not seen, speaking to us Christians, he says, you haven't seen him, whom having not seen you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And he's saying that was the motivation for what he said right before that. And you know what that was? That the trial of your faith, the testing of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He's like, you haven't seen him, but the fact you know he's there with joy unspeakable and full of glory is the motivation that you're willing to endure this fiery trial. So you get through that for his sake and your love for him. At the end, there will be praise and honor and glory at his appearing because Peter's saying, that's what you're looking forward to, seeing your Lord and Savior face to face. It'll be worth it all as the song goes, right? It'll be worth it all. Moses, it says, that by faith he forsook Egypt. He left the world. Not fearing, he says, the wrath of the king. It says, but he endured. Now, that whole thing with Israel taking them 40 years out, that was a trial, wasn't it, for him? Got him in trouble, kept him out of the promised land. (laughs) It says he endured everything he had to do. The wrath of the king leading those people out. All of that. Why? It says by seeing him who was invisible. He had a love for the Lord. He'd seen him who was invisible. Moses did. And that's how he overcame the world. and his own self, actually. Right? So I want to encourage us with this, though. If you have received the new birth, and you'd have to know that. You'd have to know whether you've been made a new creation. Then A love for God has been placed in you. Like I said, sometimes you can get all, man, I'm not sure if I love God or not. You're looking inward so much, right? If you've been given a new birth, it says this in 1 John 4, 7. Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. And he says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. So the only reason you're born again is because God loves you. You have a love for him. It's there. Trust me. Right? if you've truly been born again and also if you have received the Holy Spirit Romans 5, 5 and we're going to talk about this a little later but it says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit which He has given us if you've received the Holy Spirit I think I guess most people have I don't know anymore but <laughs> you see the Holy Spirit the evidence is speaking. it's saying the love of God has been poured out into your hearts It's there. And so if you've been born again, you received the Holy Spirit, don't doubt that you love God. His word declares that you do. And so be encouraged by that and demonstrate that love by enduring your trials. (laughs) I think that's a positive way of looking at it. Trust Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good for those that, what? Love God. And are thee called. So back to James chapter 1 and verse 3. Look what it says there. He says, My brother, count it all joy when you fall into the divers' trials, different trials, various trials. Verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works endurance. He's saying you can know something. He's saying you already know it. That's a present tense. Knowing this. You can count on all joy because you know something you already know what he's saying, you just need to continue knowing it, continue experiencing it, right? To count on all joy because you know that the trying or testing of your faith works, patience, worketh patience, King James. And what does "worketh mean? It means to produce something, to develop something. So when our faith is put to the test, it develops something in us. and what is that? The King James says patience But for us living today the word patience gives you this idea that you're just kind of putting up with somebody doesn't it? It's kind of a passive tolerance like man She just kept talking to me, and I just put up with it I just was able to endure it right really tried my patience But the word patience that's used here is actually it's much more active and forceful So William Barclay he's a New Testament scholar. He said this about this word patience or endurance It is not the patience that passively endures. Instead, it's the quality that enables a man or a woman to stand on his feet facing the storm. So, in other words, you get this picture of it's the idea of when, if you were a kid, you're playing king of the hill. It's like my feet are planted here. You can come on and assault me and put all this pressure on me. I'm not moving. I'm resisting. I'm not budging from the pressure. That's what it's saying. It's more than you're just passively putting up and like, oh, I can't stand this. But, you know, no, it's like I'm resisting. You're not getting me off of here. That's what it's saying. That's the endurance it's talking about. I'm going to stay here no matter how hard it gets. Thayer in his Greek Lexington says, and I like this. He says he calls it this endurance. It's the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to the faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Let me read that again. This is what endurance, translated patience into King James, means. It's the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to the faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. So they are saying endurance, it's characteristic of a man, he's not going to get moved from this is the way I'm going to live. This is how I've chosen to trust God. This is the promise I'm holding on to. He's saying no matter how hard that trial or suffering gets, that's what it's talking about. The trial of your faith, it produces this ability to stay under a heavy load, right? So the best way that's illustrated is in Daniel daniel had that characteristic in the three hebrew boys so it begins in daniel chapter one nebuchadnezzar carries those daniel and his three friends captive into babylon right and the first thing he does he's going to indoctrinate them he's going to turn them into little babylonians and so daniel though part of it was the king says you got to eat my food and you have to drink my wine here's the problem daniel was a saved pious jew and that food was unclean And it would violate God's law. He's got a decision to make there as a young man, as a young teenage boy, right? That was the trial. And it says there in Daniel 1 that Daniel, we're saying, going back to Thayer, it's when a man has purposed in his heart a deliberate purpose. And it says that about Daniel. It says in Daniel 1, I believe, verse 6, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself, with the portion of the king's food, nor his wine which he drank. And I'm saying, well, what's the big deal? That was a death sentence. You stood up to the king like that and said you weren't going to do that. That was a death sentence. But I think Daniel purposed in his heart, you take my head off or not as a young man. I'm not doing that because I love God. I serve him. He's the God I serve. The one I was taught as a young boy, willing to sacrifice that. But here's the thing. This was a short trial because, you know what you read there? It says that he was given favor with the prince of the eunuchs, Daniel was. And the prince of the eunuchs, Daniel's saying, look, I can't eat this king's food. And the guy's like, well, man, if you don't eat this king's food and you start withering and getting skinny and the king sees that, he's going to have my head. I don't like that. I don't like that idea. Daniel says, look, just give us pulse. Give us vegetables. And then you see how we look compared to these other ones. That's his faith speaking, right? <laughs> and God honored that, didn't he? The guy's like, all right, they ate pulse vegetables. And it says after 10 days, they compare Daniel and they compare the other people. And Daniel's like me, he's fatter than the rest, right? said he was fatter and fairer than the rest, those three boys. So you say, well, it was a small trial, and it was. It didn't last long. But listen, all three of them passed, didn't they? They purposed in their heart. So they didn't know how big or little that was, and it didn't end up being a big, long trial that they had to endure. But we're saying when you do that, it develops endurance in you. You pass the trials God gives you where you're at now, it gives you that endurance to pass a greater one. Because guess what? You read, Daniel, a greater one was not far off. That's Daniel 1. You get into Daniel chapter 3, and what happens? The image is set up. Oh, this is a lot bigger test. And anyone that doesn't, when they hear the music, doesn't bow down to this king is going to get thrown into a fiery furnace. That's the punishment, right? You're not going to bow down. You're in trouble. And can you imagine the pressure? These young guys, they are brought in front of the king. You think, well, big deal. Oh, It would have been a big deal. You get brought in front of the president and all the people are standing there and here you are going to take your little stand on, you know, I trust the Lord, you know, (laughs) you're That's no small thing. I was like Brother Hamilton. you all remember that time? He went in front of the Congress, or the whatever, the little assembly senators and all that in the state of Kentucky, down in Frankfurt. I mean, I was totally impressed with this, and he said, "I believe in trust in God, for healing, right in front of all those guys." Ah, that's something else, isn't it? That shows you his heart right there. And that should be our heart. And that's the heart of the Lord Jesus. And it's the heart of Daniel. But he comes, those three boys, they're brought before that king. And here's the king saying this to you. Is it true? I'm, I'm sure he said it kind of like, he be, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image, which I have set up? And here's what they knew. Everybody else did Right. Great pressure to conform to what everybody else is doing. And I'm saying, if you all haven't realized this yet, that is what is happening today in our country. There is this great pressure to conform to all this anti-Christian, anti-Christ culture and worldview. And people are just caving in left and right. Christian and non-Christian. And so you better, we better figure out what this Bible says, what your convictions are that you're going to have to hold when you stand each one of us individually before the Lord Jesus Christ on that day of judgment, because he's going to be asking you, why did you, why did you get that out of the word when you'd been taught the truth? Why did you back off of that? Because of everybody else? Are you like Demas? That's what he'll be saying, Right. Well, listen, these guys didn't cave. And you know why? Three things. I say they love God more than their own lives, didn't they? Luke 14. He says, if you're going to come after me, better love me more than you love mother, father, sister, brother, even your own life. Or you cannot. That's a word of impossibility. Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. So he says, you need to sit down and count the cost. Are you willing to take this trip with me? You're willing to give up even your own life? That's the question. But that's the first thing. They, they were willing, weren't they? And who's to say we aren't all willing? You're all looking at me. Are you, you're all willing? I'm saying it. Yes, you are. You'll be willing. And the second thing is, I think they counted it all joy. They answered the king. They said, king, okay, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. If it be so, he says, our God, they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, they said, be it known unto thee, O king, they were respectful, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship thy golden image. And here's the other reason they were able to stand up with that. You know why? They passed the test in Daniel 1, and it produced an endurance in them, an ability to undergo greater pressure because this pressure was much greater they didn't have anybody helping them out here. They were standing by themselves, weren't they? A lot greater pressure. And so notice they didn't have this one first and the other one second. They had the smaller trial first. It worked that endurance that enabled them to stand up this time. I'm saying that's what we need to do. Start in de- developing that endurance while we have a chance. So I would recommend to all of us here we need to be in the Word If you are so much on that social media and news, it will so affect your thinking. You don't even realize it. You're being more conformed to the world than you realize in every aspect. We've got to be thinking word-oriented people. And then when you do that, it's just not a matter well, I read my verses today. You need to pray for understanding. God will give you understanding because only he can do that. And then it's a matter of developing clear convictions. Clear convictions, is nothing's going to budge me. I don't care if the whole church turns against me. I've seen it in the word. I'm sticking with this because he's the one I have to answer to. Nobody else will be there on that day of judgment, right? And after that, you have those clear convictions. Then do like Daniel. Don't say, well, I'm not sure what I would do. I don't, I don't see that. Daniel says he purposed in his heart. This is what I'm going to do based on the word of God, Right? So I'm saying, you get the convictions and you have the purpose in your heart that this is the way I'm going to live by the grace of God. I don't think you should have an arrogant attitude. That was Peter's problem. Oh no, Lord, I'm not going to, I'll never deny you. That was an arrogant attitude, wasn't it? And he paid for it. But I think we need to know what we believe and that we are committed to that. And so that's what enabled them to handle that pressure. So we need to see Because of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross, what he purchased for us on the cross, and our willingness to trust him that, hey, we're going to go through this trial. We're going to endure it to bring him glory. It's the way he wants us to live. So whether it's healing, whether it's finances, enduring criticism, being cheated, being persecuted, dealing with demonic oppression, whatever the trial. I'm going to endure this for my love for him and for his glory. And he's faithful. Right. And that's what happens. It develops spiritual stamina, so to speak. Right. But look, here's the thing. James tells us, though, you got to hang in there. He's saying you get in a trial, you can't cut it short. You can't bail on a trial because it gets too hard It's because God has a goal. In whatever trial you and I are in. And when we cut and run from that, then guess what? We become underdeveloped. Dropouts. So, look, that's what he's saying here in verse 4. So, he says in verse 3 knowing this, the trying of your faith, it'll produce endurance. But he says, but let endurance, it has to have its perfect or complete work let endurance have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire lacking nothing so he's saying this perseverance this standing firm and has a work to do and if we give up and abandon our trust or faith in god the work will not be completed now the word let in king james make it sounds like you're asking permission it would give permission for endurance to do its perfect work. It's really, it's not that. It's a command. James is saying, don't short-circuit the work God's trying to do in you through this trial. He's basically saying, we have a duty if we love the Lord to trust Him and to enable Him to do the work He wants to do in us. Remember, we're not our own. We're bought with the price. We're His. We've gotta let Him do that work He wants to do in us. And so what is that perfect work? it talks about there, that complete work. It's a work of maturity. Proven character is what it means. And I like what one writer said. Listen to this. Maturity of character is not the result of the number of trials that you go through. It's not how many trials. Oh, I've been through so many trials. God's had to have done a work in me. Not necessarily. He says it's not the number of trials, but the way in which those trials are met. Allowing them to achieve their divinely intended impact on us. It's the way in which those trials are met, allowing them to do that work that God intended in us, is what He's saying. So listen, you face a trial, there's two paths you have there, right? You can choose to get discouraged and quit, and that's going to just show what? It's going to show that you really didn't have true faith for whatever reason. I'm not getting into all the different reasons why somebody Couldn't endure a trial. But that's what it's proving or showing. Or you can let that trial drive you to your knees. Seeking God for grace and help and strength. That you want to experience God's faithfulness and have his character established in you. That's the two paths you have to choose from, don't you? That's the way it works. Hudson Taylor, famous missionary, He's talking to this young missionary who's about ready to start work in China with him. And as he's sitting there, they're both drinking tea. They got their teacups. And he brings his fist down like that, and the tea goes spilling all over the place. The guy's like, man, what in the world was that all about? I thought you were a deep man. And Tutson Taylor says this. said this to him. He says, when you begin your work, he says, you'll be buffeted in numerous ways. And he said the trials will be like blows. And he says, remember that those blows will only bring out what's in you. They're only going to spill out what's in you, he's saying. So if our faith is genuine, a trial is not going to destroy it, but it's just going to prove what it is. And it's going to bolster it, build it up. So the Chinese character, you know, they have characters, not words like we do. The Chinese character for crisis, it consists of two characters, one on top of another. And the one on top is danger, but the one on the bottom is opportunity. And that's the way it is with our trials. So a crisis or a fiery trial, a lot of times it can seem dangerous. Right. But what does it do? It's really God giving us an opportunity. I mean, what those guys went through going, throwing into that fiery furnace, their trial, that was pretty dangerous, I would say, wasn't it? But just gives you an opportunity to see whether your faith is genuine or not. And it also gives the opportunity for it to be strengthened. And so if you would turn back to Romans chapter five, beginning in verse three, Romans five, three. And it says, Paul writes, I will start at verse one. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In verse 3, and not only so, but, he says, we glory in tribulations or pressures, also knowing that tribulation works, there's our word again, it's the same word, patience or endurance, and endurance works experience, and experience hope And hope makes not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So tribulations are pressures. And that is what a Christian is going to experience in a godless world, if they're living their Christianity. Jesus promised us this. He says, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. He's saying, in me you'll have peace. But he says, in the world you will have, the same word Paul uses here, Jesus promised that in the world you will have tribulation or pressure. But he says, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So it's not going to overcome you. It doesn't have to overcome you, but he's saying it's coming in the world. You will have, he says, tribulation, pressure. And I'm saying nobody likes to hear that. I understand that. But I'm saying if we're going to stick with what the Bible says, The road of tribulation and pressure is the only road there is into the kingdom. That's the way it is. So we know that because we all know Acts 14, 21 to 22. Paul, on his first missionary journey, he goes back to encourage the places he had been. And it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must through many tribulations there's our word again tribulations much pressure trials pressures enter the kingdom of god we must it's a greek word that means it is necessary there's no way to avoid it if you want to get in if you avoid it guess where you won't be you'll be like demas We must, Paul said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says you will have tribulations. Paul said we must through many tribulations enter. Let me ask you, are we more spiritual or smarter than our Lord Jesus Christ or the apostle Paul that we think we can avoid it or not be ready for trials and pressures that are going to come to test our faith? I don't think so. Amen. That's the way it is. So like James, Paul says here, we should glory or rejoice in tribulations because we he says the same thing as that present tense. We know something. And that is tribulations or trials produce that steadfast endurance. And then when that happens, they produce what's the next thing it says there? experience. And I think the King James experience is a good word. Literally, it means proven character. Proven character, but a person with proven character is that way because they've had an experience, right? <laughs> so it's the difference between a raw recruit at boot camp. He didn't have any experience. He's just there. He's just starting off. And the soldier who's endured fierce fighting on the battlefield, right? The fact that that soldier went out into that battle and didn't go a wall but stayed there under the pressure and endured it to the end, has given him that endurance that he stayed there, has given him experience, produced experience in him. And so when you endure a trial and experience God's faithfulness, what's the next thing? James says you'll have experience and then experience, that experience of God's faithfulness, the next thing that produced is what? From that, what does it say? Hope or expectation Because God has been seen that, hey, he's faithful. He not only delivered me from this trial by answering my prayer, but he also was faithful to develop this character in me. He's done it in the past, and I can trust on him. I can expect him to do it in the future. That's what he's saying will happen there. And so what that expectation will do, it'll enable us to take greater steps of faith. It's a progression that takes there to rely on God. And so... When greater trials come our way, there's a chain reaction that takes place, right? And each link in that chain is crucial. Crucial. So in verse 5, when Paul says our expectations calls us to believe God for great things, he's saying he will not let you down. Isn't that? Look what it says there. It says, "And hope that expectation maketh not ashamed." He won't let you down. You won't be ashamed. So you're trusting God, and then here comes a bigger trial, and it's like, I don't know. And he's saying, no, 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 that expectation you can trust him again, God won't let you down. You don't have to be afraid of that, is what he's saying. Psalm 25, 20, the psalmist says, oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. And the Bible multiple times says those that put their trust in the Lord will not be ashamed or let down. And how can we know that? Because Paul answers it. We've been talking about it here because the steadfast love of God, he goes on to say in verse five, is poured out into our hearts. Look what it says. And expectation doesn't make you ashamed because here's why. The love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. John Stott says this, the reason our hope or expectation will never let us down is that God will never let us down. His love will never give us up. Amen. And that's an encouragement, right? And I'm saying only those that love God are going to endure their trials, right? But the other side of that is you have to know that God loves you to endure trials, And how can you be sure? Because listen, a child, they need to know their parents love them. Especially young children. For them to go out and deal with life, they have to have that security. When they don't, they have emotional problems, which is why we have a lot of problems in this world right now. But they need that anchor, and that's what we need in our trials. It's not only that we love him. We have to know his love for us, don't we? We have to have that. And how did Israel know that God was with them. in all those trials they faced in the wilderness, if they had just looked what was following them everywhere they went, a pillar, a cloudy pillar by day and a fire by night. What do we have? He just said here, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How? By whom? By the Holy Spirit, right? But we can know that God loves us and is with us Every time we speak in tongues. Amen. This is a spirit-filled church. We believe in speaking in tongues, I'm saying. So Paul says what? He that speaks in an unknown tongue, 1 Corinthians 14, does what? Builds himself up. Right? And he's not talking about it in the church. He that speaks in an unknown tongue will build himself up. Jude says this. But, gee, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues. Why does that build yourself up in the most holy faith? What's the purpose of that? He goes on to say to keep yourself in the love of God. It modifies that. He's saying that's a command. Keep yourself in the love of God. And you do that by building yourself up in the most holy faith. And you do that by praying in the Spirit. That's how it happens. You're wrestling with that. Maybe you're not praying in tongues enough and meditating on the word enough. Amen? Amen. (laughs) So, enduring trials produces endurance itself, which produces experience, which produces a confident expectation. You put all that together, it will make us strong, mature believers. And we'll be able to withstand those storms that are definitely coming our way, right? And endure to the end but here's another thing i want to talk about briefly and that is not only that not only for our own benefit do we endure and have that confident expectation but we also need to be able to encourage others through our experience that's what the bible teaches I, I hate to bring up an old movie but there's this old movie john wayne movie the sands of iwo jima <laughs> in this movie John Wayne is this sergeant and he's got this job he's got to get all these we talked about raw recruits all these raw recruits ready for battle with the Japanese in some serious battles Iwo Jima right and so these guys from their side they're young just like a lot of Christians and they had a lot of fears they didn't understand what this hard training was all about they thought there's some glory like a lot of people do they hear the faith message oh praise God oh, trust the Lord and they're not ready for a trial Anon, with joy, they received the word. But then when the sun comes and the weather, it's tough. It says they quit because they had no root. So these young recruits, they think glory in war, they're not ready for it all. But John Wayne had already been through several battles, severe battles, and he knew what it was all about. And so he's able to help them through. He's able to encourage them as they're coming on the battle scene. He's also ready to be tough with them when he needed to be tough because he understood what that meant. And he also told them, hey, you need to obey orders even when it doesn't make sense. I've learned that by experience. And I have an expectation then that it'll work. And I'm saying that is one of, not to be forgotten, one of the major reasons we endure a trial. It's not just for our benefit, is it? It's to benefit others. So if you would turn back to 2 Corinthians, that's what Paul says. That's what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 3. Look what he says. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Paul writes, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our there's that word again man all our tribulation that we here's the reason why here's the purpose that's what that means that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of god for as the sufferings of christ abound in us so our consolation also abounds by christ whether we be afflicted why was Paul afflicted so many times? He said, it is for your consolation and salvation that I could give that to you, he's saying, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but trust in who? God, who does the impossible. He raises the dead. And he delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust Because he's got a confident expectation that he will yet deliver us, right? And so reading that, Paul's saying, I went through all of that I went through, not just for me. God comforted me, but he's saying, I went through all of that stuff so that I could help you in your distress, in your tribulation, in all of your troubles, And that's why he adds at the end, it couldn't get any worse than I was stoned and left for dead. I despaired even of life. But even in that tribulation, that pressing, that trouble, God came and raised me up. And he says he will yet deliver me. Because he's experienced it. He's gone through Romans 5, hasn't he? He understands that. And that's what we need to understand. (laughs) If you can hear what I'm saying today, right? So if you go back to James 1. So look what it says here in verse 4. He says, let endurance have her perfect work that. Here's the purpose. Here's the purpose, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So the goal for all of this, every trial we go through, we need to see that God's goal in that is what? He wants us to be mature and complete, entire. And that means all the parts are there. Nothing's missing we've got everything we need so you know sometimes you get something in a box your kids get something and you go to put it together and all of the pieces aren't there and you put it together. it's incomplete isn't it and he's saying no I want you to be complete I want all your pieces to be there I want you to be like a man not a little baby it's immature and has a lot of growth yet to take place he says no I want you to be like a man that is full grown and a specimen of humanity everything's there, everything's complete full grown, mature that's the goal, right? so listen the goal is not endurance so the idea behind trials is not I'm going to put up with this I'm going to grit my teeth and burn that's not it, if you're doing that you're missing it no 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 that's not what he's saying is it I'm going to count it all joy because through this, God's got a maturing work. That's what the endurance is. You hang in there. It's going to produce this completeness, this maturity in you. That's the goal. Endurance isn't the goal. It's the means to the end, right? Going through that. So when you quit, guess what happens? I've said it again. It's the last time I'll say it. When you quit and you quit your trial, you become immature and you're underdeveloped. You're Incomplete. That's what he's saying here. So I'd like to end with this testimony. I just read this. I, was, I mean, I'm like, wow. There's this Canadian pastor. He doesn't have a Canadian name. His name is Hyun Su Lim. I guess I said that right. So he was held prisoner. I don't know how all this happened, but he was held prisoner in a North Korean prison for two and a half years. And he was just released last week. And here's what he said. He wrote this letter. And they had a picture, I couldn't show that, of his congregation. They are in tears when he came back to them in Canada. But here's what he wrote. He says, I'm so grateful that God has allowed me to be here with everyone here today. I want to earnestly thank Prime Minister Trudeau for helping me in my return home. And he goes on and thanks all these other people. I'm grateful for my church community. I'm indebted to all the churches in Canada, the United States, and in Korea The many friends around the world who have prayed daily for two years and seven months until the moment I was released and returned home. Through these prayers and the efforts of all involved, I finally came home yesterday landing at 10 a.m. on Canadian soil. It still feels like a dream. He said, truly, listen to the humility in this guy. I'm telling you, what I'm going to read to you here is what we read in James lived out. But he said, truly, this is all by the grace of God. He says, I was sentenced to death by North Korea, but the sentence was commuted to life of hard labor. That, too, was God's grace and gave me tremendous peace. He said, from that moment, there were days of overwhelming loneliness. From the first day of my detainment until the day I was released, I ate 2,757 meals in isolation by myself. It was difficult to see when and how the entire ordeal would end. But this isolation also gave me the opportunity to spend an extended time of solitude with God. Listen to this. During the winter, I had to dig holes that measured one meter wide and one meter deep. The ground was frozen. The mud was so hard, it took two days to dig one hole. It was incredibly challenging. My upper body was sweating. My fingers and toes were frostbitten. I also worked inside a coal storage facility breaking apart frozen coal. In the spring and the summer, I worked outside eight hours a day in the scorching sun. One year, this difficult labor took a toll on my body and I was admitted to the hospital for two months. There would be three other occasions where I would be admitted to the hospital in serious condition. Just about done. He says, during my time there, I read over 100 books on North Korea and began to grasp and gain a deeper understanding of the 70-year history that formed the nation. I also read the Bible in both English and Korean five times and memorized over 700 Bible verses. I worshiped alone for 130 Sundays. While I was laboring, I prayed without ceasing. I will share more details with you later. He said, there were many difficult moments, but it was during these times that God gave me the strength to endure and persevere. Isn't that what we're talking about? There were moments of discouragement, resentment, and grumbling, but he didn't end there. He says, but that soon changed into courage and joy and thanksgiving. He said, I learned to fully accept all of this as a form of God's love and discipline to make me stronger. By God's perfect and sovereign timing, I was released, returned home, and I'm here with you today. So that guy lived the message I preached today. And if he was here, I guarantee you he could preach it a 100 times better because he's lived it. What a testimony. Amen, that's right. That is a testimony right there, right? So here's what we said today. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Not lacking anything. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's what we'll do. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you once again, Lord, for this word that you've given us. And Lord, I just ask you'll help us to remember in time of trial, tribulation, and trouble that comes our way that you're not abandoning us, that we haven't lost your love, but instead, Lord, you're just doing a work in us. And just help us, Lord, by your grace and our love for you to enable us to endure the trials, that it can have a work in us, that we can be the mature, complete Christians that you want us to be and able to withstand the storms that are coming our way. I just thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that you've given us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. I ask, Lord, that you'll make all of us here doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving ourselves. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.